Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with V6, we definitely want to hear about it. Uh, love to have you on the show, or if you want to just send us a note or you know hit us on Twitter, any of that will work. Uh, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogan. We're going to jump into talking about an update about IPv6 and public cloud, because why not? <laughs> Stuff in public cloud is changing all the time. And uh, we thought uh, it might make sense to just talk about what the current status is, what's some of the things that are going on, and uh, maybe some interesting articles and things like that that uh, folks can reference in order to get some uh, some updated information about what's going on with v6 and public clouds. So I don't know, where are we at? <laughs> is it all still just a failure and we're, we're just scratching our head wondering what the heck is going on? I know, I know Oracle Cloud had released, uh, OCI had released some information and, and has uh, v6 support now. Um, so there was a bunch of information uh, coming out from them. Um, I don't know. I, and, and Google Cloud has has V6 support now. I think in the past, we'd always said that, you know, Google Cloud was a little further behind in, in that area, which was always a little strange because Google was always a big adopter of V6 uh, early on. Um, but uh, just seemed like Google Cloud wasn't uh, wasn't coming along that way. But uh, you can finally give you can finally get uh, some some V6 ranges run, running around in subnets inside of a, inside of a VPC network now. Right. Yeah, for the longest time, you just had a load balancer that yeah, could that present a V4 and a V6 VIP virtual IP to the internet facing side, and then it would make backend V4 connections inside of your environment. But you know now they have uh, the ability to effectively these IPv6 enabled instances and ranges uh, on your virtual machines and VPC subnets. Yeah, it's right. like the basic features that uh, some of the basic ap applications that Amazon or services that Amazon has been supporting for a while with V6 and, and some of the other cloud providers have now caught up at least to some extent. And then with Amazon, it's always like, well, you know, they have a gajillion services and they seem to add like a gajillion more every year. So, <laughs> and, but, you know, to the extent that there's, there's V6 support there, it's, it, it's pretty limited to, you know, a handful of, of core applications or critical applications. And it's good the V6 support is there, but yeah, I feel like mm -hmm. it's, it seems like you get a lot of, uh, you, you're getting a lot of uh, playing catch up on the part of the other cloud providers. And, and then you end up with some, as a result of that, you end up with some sort of weird non-standard deployment i mean i we've seen some strange things with addressing that's that's being used and in, in some of the uh, the you know this is not bring your own addressing where you're 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 bringing your own ipv6 allocation to to number services in the cloud but the the uh, the numbering that you get from say oracle well so oracle has a public range mm -hmm. so when you're assigning stuff you you get a public range uh that they that they provide you and uh i need to double check if they actually have support for bring your own addressing um uh, it would be a guess on my part at this point uh, if if they do or do not but uh, you know they definitely have their own public range that they have available so you know i know that works mm -hmm. and, and you don't necessarily have to uh you have to rely on uh something different they do have a, a significantly large address range to, yeah. to hand out for global unicast um uh for for setting setting stuff up and then they assign 64 address prefixes to each subnet in your what i, I think they're called a, a vcn it's their virtual you know their their equivalent of a 
or virtual device context or uh, the equivalent of sort of network uh, setup. Everyone's got a different name. It's impossible <laughs> to keep track of all this sort of stuff. Um, but they actually allow you to sort of, um, they allow you to create like um, some weird 64 subnetting configurations underneath their block. So when they assign you out a block, you can like break that thing down and assign it inside of, you know, in, you can do a, a breakdown in, inside the VNIC and you can attach a V6 address, a specific V6 address to a OS instance host, and you can get that through DHCP V6. So they've done some work there in terms of uh, allowing you to sort of set that up and uh, and get that operational. But they, they it seems like they assign everything out of a VCN and they've got a, a roll up block into like 56s that they that they sort of assign out for for that and then you break down your 64s out of out of all of that that's that seems to be what what they've got going on and I can't yeah I can't remember whether they actually allow you to do you bring your own addressing um, uh, the documentation uh, alludes to it right yeah, yeah they say it's they allude to it but then they don't show an example of that but yeah the <laughs> the addressing that OCI will use is, you know, 2603 or their 2606B400 slash 32. Okay. Yeah. So they've got their own address space. So in case you don't have address space, you can get some uh, from them just as an assign out. And then uh, I imagine they have the capability to do, you know, custom bring your own, you know, V6. Uh, or if, if not, it's got to be really high on their list because I doubt they want to consume that much address space from their own, <laughs> their own, their own provisioned address uh, allocation. Um, yeah. And we both, we, we all know AWS has the capability to bring your own address space. They've got pretty mature service capabilities within their public cloud and what they're providing. Uh, Azure's got their own, bring your own address capabilities and reasonable sort of capabilities around what they're providing inside of, of Azure for their VNet configurations for doing V6. They aren't doing anything super weird there that I that I could tell. Um, I, I think the only really odd one that maybe scratched my head was some of the stuff that Google was doing, which I found just really strange, given the fact that Google is such an early adopter of V6 that some of the choices that they made in their public cloud is a little interesting uh, versus like how they operate, you know, for for I guess Google.com, right? Because Google Cloud is different. Um, I don't know. Yeah. We can talk about those, but they've got they they chose to actually. If you choose to build like an internal v6 specific range they use ula um unique local addressing to to actually um build out that portion of the network and obviously those aren't routable to the public public internet they need to go through some sort of translation to be able to do that um and uh and and they they pre-built that out of a range uh, an existing ula range um fd20 colon colon slash 20 is i guess the assigned network range that they set it up and you can you can assign 48s out of that interesting choice yeah <laughs> I, I, um especially considering the fact that in google cloud i don't think you can do a v6 only network you can only do a dual stack right mm -hmm. uh, when you're setting up their their configuration i don't think it gives you the option of turning v4 off um so ula with an ipv4 enabled configuration on some os's i guess you know well maybe maybe they figured out how to fix all that i was gonna say they, uh, did they just shim it like everything else in the cloud <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure they <laughs> they modified it to, to to do the behavior they want versus maybe what everyone else is seeing <laughs> yeah the yeah. behavior that the standard defines but you know what's what's an rfc <laughs> yeah. between friends yeah <laughs> 
Another thing I noticed in their documentation, when you're building your VPC network, it defaults to an MTU size of 1460 bytes. Hmm. And, you know, we know that router IPv6 routers don't fragment on behalf of the source. They drop the pack and send back a packet too big message, ICMP v6 type two error message back to the source indicating, you know, that's the size, 1460 bytes. So then sources are going to have to fragment, right. you know, and you're going to have to tell your instance, the in, instance MTUs 1460 and to adjust its TCP MSS accordingly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I thought I thought the other interesting thing was that external IP addresses they'll they'll provide global unicast addresses for external IP address uh, addresses for your for your for your VMs, but external IPv6 addresses are available only in the premier tier. <laughs> so so they're charging you more money to basically make use of v6. It's it's an interesting financial decision, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I would think it's a much cheaper resource there's no reason that you would have to do that i don't I, well, that kind of goes against what azure did in july giving away ipv6 for free you're right yeah. right <laughs> right like i i don't understand why it would go in premier tier instead of standard tier you would think you would just you know you would just get whatever resources are required and they they i i, I guess that's just not a thing I don't, I don't know um if you need an external address for HTTP or SSL or TCP, for any of the load balancing stuff in standard tier, you get that. You can get a regional external IP address, but somehow for just getting a, a an, an external address for a, for a VM instance, you know, I guess, I guess you have to get Premier for V6, but you don't have for V4. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So. Um, yeah, and that goes seems, very, very seems, much goes, seems go, backwards. <laughs> yeah, and it goes against the economics we've been talking about for a really long time in the space of v4 and v6. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's weird, right? Yeah. I, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You have so many more resources with v6. Why would you charge money in order to get a v6 address when they're just incredibly plentiful? There's there's no constraint on how many you can hand out and, and for what purpose. So that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Um, and, and apparently they have the capability to, to do reservations for uh, external IPv4, uh, IPv6 addresses. Uh, that's like a something something where if you need to set aside a whole slew of, of addresses, you can do that in advance, which you know, I guess that makes sense when you're deploying certain larger scale resources. I don't know. I mean, it's, do we feel like, I, I guess we can say sort of across the board, all the major public clouds, at least in the, sort of the North American region, uh, seem to have a solution offering, um, you know, about IPv6 in some capacity, right? So AWS, Azure, mm-hmm. um, GCP, and, and Oracle Cloud all have the capabilities to do something with v6 uh, so that you're just not, you know, left out in the cold completely. If there's something that you need to do with v6, you have the capabilities. And there's other smaller cloud providers. I know DigitalOcean has v6 capabilities. There's a couple others that that, that definitely fit in, in that category. I think it's more of an issue of what do you actually need from a services basis from v6 to operate in each one of the public clouds? And do, do they provide you that capability of what you actually need? And you're going to have to spend some time figuring that out. That's right. right. But on top of that, I mean, the, it's like one of the great bugbears of cloud of recent years is like, you know, avoiding cloud lock-in. We're going to make sure that we whatever we can do in one cloud provider, we can do in another. But of course, you're, 
maybe listeners are getting some sense that that the cloud offerings for V6 are kind of all over the map in terms of what's supported and how it's supported. And so if you're trying to do sort of a standard architecture with it, maybe that's a little difficult. Um, I mean, with the basic services that are supported, it, you know, the, the risk, I guess, is lower because of that. But, uh, you know, it just in terms of things, just I'm looking over Oracle's notes on what they support for V6, bring your own addressing. And, you know, it's like, okay, bring up to 20 IPv4 CIDR blocks or IPv6 prefixes or combination. Uh, and then you're allowed to assign up to five total IPv6 prefixes per VCN and up to three per subnet. So, you know, that's just one sort of limitation, one architectural guideline or, you know, or a limit that you have to come up against if you're trying to design something. Is it different in AWS? I, I don't know off the top of my head, um, but you're going to have to contend with these differences as you as you figure out where V6 is going to live in the cloud, and, you know, and who your current cloud providers are. Of course, we know yeah. that, that cloud lock-in isn't actually a thing, so maybe you know you're only dealing realistically with with one cloud provider for a bulk of what you're trying to do. So maybe it's less of an issue, but it is something to keep in mind. Right. I mean, you don't get that universality of, of, of building through the design. You're going to be constrained by the, I guess, the lowest common denominator. If you want to try and get across the board for all of them, you're going to, you're going to do the most constrained design in order to make sure that you can do that across all of them, even though that may not necessarily be the case. And, and I don't know. That's kind of really the opposite of what the, the appeal of V6 has been from the beginning. I know, right? isn't it? <laughs> it it yeah. feels wrong. It feels yeah. wrong in so many ways in terms of saying like, yeah, we're going to take the most constrained design. I bet, let's just use an example, maybe like, you know, what Google is doing for certain things was like, cause I think per VM, it's like a 96 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Just seems, just feels really strange. And, uh, you know, and, and make that the baseline standard about how you're going to do stuff or try and get the other platforms to operate in a similar way. Just doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, everyone else is using a 64. And then there's a weird combination of, do you use ULA or not use ULA and whose global unicast address space do you use? Do you route your own? Do you route do you have to accept routes from, you know, of that address space from the provider themselves back down into yourself in order to, you know, get access to it if you want to go over something like, you know, direct connect, direct connect or express route um, for direct, you know, peering with with those cloud organizations? Yeah. I think it becomes it becomes much harder to get some standardized, you know, design configurations about how you want to think about your network. And I guess this is true for V4 too, right? There's differences in terms of how each one of the providers actually do you know, even networking for V4, but I just don't think it's quite as varied as what we're seeing in V6. Like V6 seems to be that every cloud provider has a much stronger opinion about how V6 should be laid out. Mm -hmm. And it's not matching across the board versus I think there's a little bit more um, maybe industry standard convention about how long people have been using V4, that V4 seems to have carried those standards over in terms of how the cloud providers have actually implemented. Mm -hmm. So those, I mean, is that a gut, maybe that my gut feeling's wrong there? I, I don't no, know. That's that's true. And even there's there's even lock in within a provider in a subtle way. Like, oh, I built my my VPC subnets in a classic way, not in custom mode. Oh, I, that prevents me from doing any V6. Oh, I implemented in a particular uh, region, and now that doesn't have IPv6. Yet. Yeah, that just or, feel, or, feels oh, wrong. I, right? I went ahead and made it a private network, and it assigned an internal range. And then that VPC is locked into that method and then and that address space. You cannot later to even disable IPv6 or change the range later. You got to blow it all away, build brand new VPC uh, networks 
right with new the new style and that's not backward compatible and you also and are limited in the ability to change it so you've locked in you have some technical debt and you you've made a choice there that then is unchangeable and the only way to do that is to completely move instances yeah that's know, the same that feels the same brand new environment yeah that feels the same to me as like the, all the classic mistakes we made the first time when we were building vpcs with aws and you like you were start you were throwing out you know the largest network address block you could possibly lay down in that initial VPC <laughs> build, or it was too small or too big. You didn't get the Goldilocks principle uh, to, to make it give you the flexibility, but not assign too much address space out of where you're already running. Like there was a lot of caveats that went around, like trying to figure out how to do that correctly and to get the standards, you know, done. And then of course, you know, once you made that decision, that was it. You had to blow away the entire you know, VPC in order to <laughs> get the address space back or not use it the same way. Or if you ran out, you couldn't expand it. So you just had to blow everything away and start over again. Feels very much the same uh, to me. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess yeah. that's true universally across the board with a bunch of cloud-related resources, right? Um, just that's the principle. This is how we work and you should be flexible and you should be able to, you know, we, you know, the I guess the cattle, not pets sort of thing of you should stand up your infrastructure and not have that dependency and be able to move things around and redeploy and rebuild but let's all face reality that doesn't necessarily how things work right yeah so like with some you know large-scale hardware devices that run as load balancers or could also be a cgn appliance you run them in either or and to and to make the change you have to completely reboot reload the firmware reinstall it wipes out all your config yep. you can't run both you know it either runs as a load balancer and the tcam and the and the hardware acceleration is mapped one way or cgn and the, the hardware resources are mapped that way and then you have to pick and then once you pick you're locked in and the only way to change it is to completely reboot the box blow away the entire config you know and move to the other method and you can't do both and or yeah, you're forced into a design decision early and you can't change it later. Yep. And it also is different than any other cloud <laughs> that you're working in. Yeah, it's yeah. just it, it just feels it just feels a little strange. Uh, I, I will I will give a shout out for those of you that are working on the GCP side. You should read Jeremy. Jeremy Duncan wrote a great blog article about the Google Cloud platform and new mm -hmm. V6 support and and sort of walking you through what what goes on there and some of the weirdness around DHCP v6 <laughs> that he documents because it's giving a it doesn't give out a slash 64 it's just like a weird 65 prefix thing and there's some weird some some strange things about you know a slash 65 route i don't know if this is like a high availability like ra thing or split prefix ranges or something else yeah but we were trying to think is it split scopes for dhcp six redundancy right. yeah because they don't have you know what's the uh, yeah, 89, yeah. 8956 or whatever the rfc is for uh dhcp v6 redundancy for ipv6 yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't know i mean it's just a weird thing and jeremy noticed that he actually reached out to scott asking us and we're like we have no idea <laughs> so but uh he's got a he's got a really uh, good article about that so we'll put that in the show notes uh for folks uh, so they can read and, and follow up with them and maybe bug jeremy see uh, see if he's worked on it some more to figure out what the heck is going on there because it's sort of interesting that's right or if you're feeling particularly intrepid just deploy it just take take your chances roll the dice deploy it see where you end up yeah 
Yep, hey, yep. It only cost you like 10 bucks to try. That's right. <laughs> it's probably less. <laughs> it's probably less than that. Yeah. I mean, it's, and he does, he does a good job because he walks you through all the screenshots of how to set everything up and, 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 and do all the work. So definitely a, definitely one worth checking out. And then I would say the rest of the, of the corporate documentation for most of the major vendors seems to be okay. I don't know what your guys' feelings are. Most of the time, I always feel like, it does an accurate job explaining it, but doesn't really go into any of the rationale about why the decisions were the way they were. So it's sort of like you just have to accept it, and mm-hmm. um, and that's what it is. So they talk, they they sort of lay it all out for you, but they don't have really explain like why the heck, you know, why FD twenty colon colon slash twenty. Like where did that come from? Like is that just a random assignment, or do they are they doing this per geographies, or it was like something else going on that we just don't understand? Um, they're just yeah. not sharing any insight there, but I guess I guess they're a public cloud provider. They don't have to like you just take what we give you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They they control the horizontal and the vertical. Yeah, their documentation is either step by step, you know, cookbook, click right. through these menus uh, in the GUI, or here's one example of an API call, and then good you luck. Have to, you have to figure out all the <laughs> other parameters that are available, you know, yourself. Right. Or, yeah, it doesn't, it, it always feels a little strange because it always feels like you're short just one or two items to actually get things to work the way you really would need to in a production uh, scenario. And what I mean by that is like, they don't really go into detail about all the firewalling that you have to do or, you know, all of the rule sets that you would necessarily have to get in there or necessarily all the routing complexity that would go on. They cover firewall rules, they cover, you know, hierarchical you know, policy configuration, if you have that as something that needs to be in there. And they definitely cover it, but I don't think they provide it sort of the same sort of detail around here's a working implementation. Here's some infrastructure running over here that you can borrow and like, you know, rip and replace for address prefixes or, you know, your particular snippets in order to be able to get everything working in the same way that we have for V4. Well, hey, if you work for a cloud provider and you got V6 running and you want to, you know, talk all through it, reach out. We'd love to be able to chat. You guys can come on do a sponsor show and we'll talk about how to get it, how to get it to happen. Uh, or, you know, I'd be really interested to sort of see like um, maybe some of the multi-cloud networking shops that if, if they're working on V6 and how do you actually, you know, integrate this across the board if you're trying to run uh, some of their solutions that That's would be right. pretty and, interesting. And, absolutely. And, and will that be, will that end up being sort of a, a standardizing force? I mean, because if like you talk about the goals of a multi-cloud network architecture and, you know, the, the tremendous benefit potentially of having like bring your own V6 address space to, to, uh, to facilitate that sort of design because you're not constrained by lack of IPv4, but then you need to have, you know, some way of stitching together all of the different ways in which, v, you know, V6, bring your own V6 is happening and then the services underneath. Uh, but in the short term, I know that some of them are struggling to just support V6 at all. And and again, mm-hmm. a hard problem. But if they solve that and and then manage to figure out how to help stitch the the cloud providers together on the, the bring your own V6 front, that would definitely be a benefit. Yeah. 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 How do they normalize across clouds when there's subtle differences between them? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. that's the, and that's their job if they've decided to, you know, we're going to create, we're going to be the facilitators and the enablers of multi-cloud network architecture okay, that's great. Now go fix this problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and and that may require that, that companies like the, those that are providing those solutions go and have pragmatic conversations with the public clouds of saying, like, if you can change this stuff in this way to help support us, then 
it's just going to be better for the community overall in terms of making this better for everyone, not just us as a company, but for, for everyone across the board. Now, I don't know how interested the public clouds are because they don't necessarily want you having that flexibility. <laughs> right? That's right. Um, you know, that's, that's me. I, I don't know if this is the lock in. I, I, you know, I mean, being an engineer as an engineer's engineers, first and foremost, I really doubt that there's intention that way. I, I imagine the business people or, or, you know, the product manager folks are probably more interested in, in, in using a differentiating value around that than an engineer would. An engineer's like, no, I just want this stuff to work <laughs> and I want to work consistently. At least yeah. I, I, I have that altruistic, uh, yeah. <laughs> view that that's how it plays out, but you never know. Maybe there's a you know the evil engineer in the back room going ha ha slash ninety six make the most sense. <laughs> yeah, and if you're feeling like you using ULA, lie down until the feeling goes away. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, some Google folks didn't uh, didn't lie down long enough. So. Yes, yeah. Well, it's you know I. I have a feeling they're probably not the only ones. So uh, I imagine that some of this is motivated just by, you know, customer demand, people coming in and saying like, well, we shall not, uh, not understanding ULA, not understanding what they're asking for, because they maybe don't know enough about V6 uh, to know what they're asking for. And then coming in and demanding something. And, you know, sometimes you're stuck as a, as some of these vendors just saying like, okay, well, if that's what you need, we can write some code to make that stuff happen. And then you just release it out as a general product release thing. Or maybe you should have kept it hidden behind the scenes and just uh, only turn it on when people specifically bug you to ask for that. But the rest of the time, just try and do the right thing for the uh, for the industry and the internet in general. <laughs> right. We right. could we could blame the security folks because they see ULA and think, oh, this is private. Yes, things should be secure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's maybe a great way to keep things from communicating with the internet. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I mean, that's is that what firewalls and zero trust is all supposed to be about? I don't know. It's it's, a, it's all confusing. I, I always I stick by my claim: a firewall is just a router that is broken. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> and the more logging you do, it just gets slower and slower and slower. Slower and slower and slower. Exactly. So we got to push more traffic through it. There's consolidate everything. So log all the things. Yeah, yeah. Pretty soon, you're generating more log traffic than you are actual backbone. <laughs> it's like. But either way, well, cool, and, you guys, and, and NetFlow, <laughs> and NetFlow, yes, make it make it even more more generous in terms of what you want to, uh, you know, data gather. You got to do the NetFlow of your NetFlow of your NetFlow. So, I, I I don't know. Is that is that a pretty good pretty good like cloud update just for everyone in terms of like where we think things are at and and uh, you know we we'd love to hear back if uh, folks are having different experiences in the field uh, actually doing deployments and working with and we haven't even touched on the fact of like you know I don't know whatever GovCloud FedRAMP you know who knows what what v6 capabilities uh, exist within any of those at any given point in time there's so much constraints around those environments but we're just talking about general sort of general purpose public cloud uh, for for you know you know, regular consumer uh, and enterprise consumption. I don't think we were talking about necessarily anything for for the federal folks, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't. I, I imagine that's a much more constrained set that they get to work in versus versus everyone else. Yeah, because somehow having less features is more secure. I guess <laughs> <laughs> by definition. <laughs> that's. Don't mind Scott's cynical <laughs> take on <laughs> one. All right. Well, I don't know. Is that is that a, is that a good wrap point? I think so. I think that's a good a good stopping point yeah. for this one. And we're going to just get ourselves in more trouble if we keep going. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so on like V6, we run out of space for the podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on Twitter uh, at IPv6 Tom for Tom, at Scott Hope for Scott. And I'm at He Horley. Um, so thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packer Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day2 Cloud, and all, and all the other... Uh, uh, great technical content over Packer Pushers at PackerPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.